The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is now back in the news. And no, it's not for being taken hostage by FBI agents or putting a ban on gardening seeds. Um, She's actually proclaimed May 5th. Cinco de Mayo as Murdered and Missing Indigenous Persons Awareness Day in Michigan to honor the lives of missing and murdered American Indian and Alaska Native people. Because we need that for some reason. All of this on Cinco de Mayo, you know, the Mexican holiday that is now, I guess, going to be proclaiming Native American people and, as David Tell says, snow Mexicans or Alaskan Native people, something like that. But yeah, Whitmer back in the news recognizing those indigenous people, but apparently that didn't get down to the University of California because a Berkeley professor apologizes for her false indigenous identity. This is from the Associated Press and not out of the Hamas Bureau. This is out of San Francisco. An anthropology professor at the University of California, Berkeley, whose identity as Native American has been questioned for years. This person apologized this week for falsely identifying as indigenous, saying that she is a white person who lived an identity based on family lore. Elizabeth Hoover, associate professor of environmental science, policy and management, said in an apology posted that she claimed an identity as a woman of Mohawk descent, but never confirmed the identity with those communities or researched her ancestry until recently. I caused harm, Hoover wrote. I hurt Native American people and have they've been my friends, colleagues, students, family, both directly through uh, fr- fractured trust and through activating historical harms. This hurt has also interrupted student and faculty life and careers. I acknowledge that I could have prevented all of this hurt by investigating and confirming my family's story sooner. For this, I am deeply sorry because they're all liars. <laughs> that's, that's the way the left is. They assume all of these things, like Elizabeth Warren's going to assume that she's Native American, come to find out she's, what, one twenty-third thousandth point of the, you know, decimal something percent, right? Beto O'Rourke, he's out there. I'm Beto, you know, he's Robert O'Rourke. He's white as snow. (laughs) He's definitely not Hispanic by any means. But these people are liars. And that's what they do. But whatever they do to further indoctrination centers like this individual did in Berkeley, uh, or if they want to further certain lies, they have to wrap it up in BS. And a great example of this is the gas stove argument. So the story was there was a study. We don't know anything about the study, but apparently gas from your stove leaking in an environment rose the cases of asthma. And so we have to attack it. And because of climate change, right? Because then if everybody's got gas stoves, then that's going to hurt the environment and hurt those, give people asthma and affect the climate somehow, right? Well, everybody laughed because people on the right said, oh, they're going to come after your stoves because they're saying, oh, stoves are bad for the environment. 
And the left goes, ah, no one's coming for your stoves. Republicans pounced on that story. They seized on it, right? Well, (laughs) then they actually did. In New York, they're not allowing new gas stoves to be uh, implemented in new construction. Well, (laughs) except for maybe restaurants, they get a little carve out because, you know, it's that dire of a need. We have to offset China's coal-burning mecca over there with the removal of your gas stove. You have to suffer and cook on crappy stovetops that don't thoroughly cook all the way through because these idiots under Xi Jinping are out there just burning stoves and, and you know, lighting coal on fire, basically, in a thick pea soup cloud of smoke because they're exempt from climate action. But listen to this media montage on how they... This is from Gravy, and this is great. All of the times that they said, ah, the right is crazy conspiracy theorists. They're not going to take your stoves. And then the reports that show, yes, they're taking your gas stove. You might think that the U.S. government is coming for your gas stove. That is a new and absolutely ridiculous one. Turns out Fox News and Republicans are up in arms because they say the government is coming to take your stoves. What Republicans are saying is... Damn it, they're going to take your gas stove. The GOP have been stoking a ridiculous new freakout about gas stoves. No one is taking your gas stove. The right-wing freakout over the use of gas stoves is merely the latest in a long series of made-up culture war battles designed to enrage and rile up their right-wing and paranoid base. Republicans are prone to conspiracy theories, whether it's, you know, the kooky, like JFK Jr.'s coming back from the dead to run with Trump, or um, the sort of duplicitous, like, this administration's coming to take away your gas stoves. Republicans have turned a government warning about your health into a lie about Democrats trying to take your stoves. You get some bureaucrat saying something that has no power, and then suddenly you have Ron DeSantis, so I'm going to protect your gas. Everybody's going to be talking about Gas stoves, gas It's so stupid. People were tweeting at me this weekend that Ron DeSantis is going to protect my gas stove. So, but I don't seem to be but. What the heck? The sheer stupidity of it. And if it were just bloggers, that would be one thing. But when you have Kevin McCarthy going out and, and other people talking about gas stoves, because they keep getting dumber and dumber. You know, the Republican Party has become... Uh, addicted to this culture of lies and conspiracy theories that they have fomented, right? And so they know that there is a substantial number of people uh, in the country, uh, in their party, who they can convince that this is true and that it will enrage those people. Uh, This is the the, the economy of and the culture of conspiracy theories, right? There are, I'm, I'm certain, you and I, We'll be able to drive through uh, parts of the country 10 years from now, and people will be saying, do you remember back when Joe Biden was in office and they tried to take away our gas stoves? Moments later. New York City is moving to snuff out gas stoves. New York becoming the first state to ban natural gas and other fossil fuels in most new buildings, including gas stoves. The new law requires all electric heating and cooking in new buildings shorter than seven stories by 2026. Governor Kathy Hochul and the Democratic-controlled state legislature approved a bill on Tuesday prohibiting the use of fossil fuels for heating and cooking. The law is the first statewide ban in the nation and goes into effect in 2026 for buildings under seven stories. They're just zipping it down and telling you it's raining as they just piss all over your legs. That's what they do. 
The reason they're doing this is not because they just want to label you as conspiracy theorists. That's part of it. The main reason is because they want to build an alternate reality. And through the lens of their gatekeeping, you're going to have a completely different view of the world than what is actually going on or the reality of the situations around you. And there's a reason for that. They want to control the environment so that when they implement their insanity, they can massage it and make you get on board with it. I mean, the whole point of gaslighting is to create a false reality. The great example of this right now is what's going on with this homeless man in New York who was murdered or he was killed because he was apprehended by uh, a veteran, a military guy. I think he's a veteran, um, is a Marine. And apparently this individual was on a subway car and was threatening people around him. And this guy, no police in sight because they're all Soros backed DAs and, and police that have been defunded. So they're not doing anything. Crime is going through the, through the roof and people on subway cars are being terrorized every day. And you know, this guy was threatening enough to where this individual decided, you know what, I'm going to save the people around me and we're going to apprehend this guy. But the way that they are framing it with politicians, with media, with cultural figures and uh, entertainment stars and, and news media, they're all framing it in a completely different way. I mean, they've got him dancing. Guy, Jordan Neely. Neely, are you OK? Neely, are you OK? Because they got him dancing like Michael Jackson, like he's moonwalking through the subway car and he was just choked out for being black is the way they want to frame it. Uh, Ayanna Presley, she's one of the squad, one of the progressive squad. She said he was 30 years old. Black men deserve to grow old, not be lynched on a subway because they were having a mental health crisis. Jordan deserved better. Accountability now. Gosh, if he used a gun to take him out, it would have been really insane. Here's another one. Jordan Neely was lynched. He had no food, no water, no safe place to rest. He had the audacity publicly to publicly yell about the massive injustice. So they killed him. Yeah, they said he was screaming for food. Please feed me. Feed me. Right. Oh, AOC. She's an idiot. And she had to chime in on it as well. Uh, she said Jordan Neely was murdered. But because Jordan was houseless, he must have forgot his house somewhere. He lost it. And crying for food, please feed me, in a time when the city is raising rents and stripping services to militarize itself while many in power demonize the poor, the murderer gets protected with passive headlines and no charges. It's disgusting. This is another media lie. Here you go. Here's another one. Tor is this guy's name. A homeless man yelling on the New York subway is normal. We see it all the time. What's not normal is for a Marine to sneak up behind him, put him in a chokehold, and unalive him. <laughs> right? That's not justified. The Marine could have done nothing. He should be charged. Of course, you know, not too long ago, this same individual posted a 77-year-old white customer at Dunkin' Donuts was upset about something, and he called a black 27-year-old employee the N-word. The brother told him, say it again. The old man did. The brother knocked him out. The old man fell, lost consciousness, and died. He effed around and found out. So, yeah, that's the, uh, that is the narrative. So what is really going on here? Well... As Ian Miles Chong put it, the narrative is that a young boy named Jordan Neely was lynched on a subway in New York City. 
Jordan Neely's prior record included 42 prior arrests between 2013 and 2021, including four for assault and others for less severe charges. At the time of his death, he had one active warrant for assault. Multiple members of Congress and politicians are calling on public to take action against the Good Samaritan, a U.S. Marine whose actions contributed to the death of Jordan Neely. Neely, are you okay? Neely, are you okay? And they want accountability against him without trial. In the court of public opinion, he has been tried and found guilty of lynching, of being a racist, a terrorist, a bigot who murdered and executed a young boy whose favorite pastimes were impersonating Michael Jackson. Neely, are you okay? Are you okay, Neely? And busking for food. Please feed me. Feed me. Um, yeah, this guy. He, uh, he apparently attacked a, a 67-year-old um, in the past. I mean, it's, it's insane. Here, listen to this pastor. Jesus is a 30-year-old black man riding the subway, hungry, thirsty, and fed up. Not dancing and doing the moonwalk and telling everybody he's going to kill them and that he wants to go back to jail. Jesus never did that. Yeah, this guy is a pastor, content creator. He, him, has rainbow flag. He's a heretic is what he is. Jordan Neely was murdered because as an unhoused black man... He was considered non-human and disposable. His gruesome death was a 21st century lynching. That's Mark Lamont Hill. He has a show on some news network, I think. I mean, here's another one. Mark D. Levin. I saw Jordan Neely perform his Michael Jackson routine many times on the A train. He always made people smile. Our broken mental health system failed him. He deserved help. Not to die in a chokehold on the floor of a subway. Well, here's something. Jordan Neely was arrested multiple times for assaulting, including a 67-year-old grandmother on the subway. The police called on him monthly for subway altercations, and he was released over and over again. He told the police he needed help and, and schizophrenia. He had ADHD. They released him anyways, and he did not die in the hands of a Marine. He died at the hands of politicians who created a broken system that chooses to let career criminals back onto the streets, even with me severe mental health issues. Today, they will cry about his death. Tomorrow, they will go back to enticing and enacting the policies that killed him and enticing that kind of behavior. And that's basically what's going on here. We have to look at the fact that this is the gaslighting and this is something that is an outgrowth of progressive policies that are you know, basically implemented by people like George Soros. Um, he's funding all this with his Open Society Project, his Open Society Foundation. And they're the ones supporting district attorneys and attorney generals and police departments that want to look the other way, release criminals back out on the streets and cause utter chaos. And it's happening in Austin Texas, it's happening in Asheville, North Carolina, it's happening all over the place. But that's the goal. And it's all a part of the lie. That's, listen to this. This is the majority report. Listen to how this lady frames what happened or, or, or her view on what happened. I, I was hit at one point sitting on the subway by a man who was having a mental health episode. He sat next to me and he was elbowing and kind of flailing around and hit, hit me in the face and in my body. And I, I it was jarring, right? Um, the idea that I, I would want him to be hurt in any way, I just didn't want to be near him in that moment because mm -hmm. I understood something was going on here. Every one of us who's taken public transit has had this kind of situation, something similar happen, seeing someone struggling. That doesn't mean that 
our fear in that instance. And I was a little scared because I my I, I was hit. It's a problem. Like but, it's people but, that but, need but help. I would, but like my fear is not the primary. Right. A primary uh, object of like what we should be focusing on right now. It's the fact that this person is in pain. Um, and so like the politics of dehumanization privileges the the bourgeois kind of concern of people's like immediate discomfort in this narrow, narrow instance, as opposed to larger humanity and life. It's really freaking twisted. Get over your privileged fear, your bougie fear. It's this is the mindset of these people because it's all part of the gaslighting. You know, you've got too much white privilege because you're afraid of this guy who's out here just yelling on the train. You know what? Let's listen to an actual news story of what really happened on that train. The video shows three strap hangers subduing the 30 year old man after witness Juan Alberto Vasquez says he got on the northbound F train and began acting aggressively, threatening riders. Law enforcement sources with knowledge of the case confirm his account, saying according to a witness, the man began shouting, quote, I want food. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm ready to go back to jail and I'll hurt anyone on this train. The man got on the subway car and began to say a somewhat aggressive speech, saying that he was hungry, he was thirsty, and he didn't care about anything. He didn't care about going to jail, that he didn't care that he gets a big life sentence, and it doesn't matter if he died. Vasquez says he was scared and believes others on the train were too. That's when he says a 24-year-old rider came up behind the man and put him in a chokehold, holding him there on the ground. Two other men standing over them also helped subdue the man. If there was fear, the people who were bluish or who were there, where he separated everything, moved from their place. I stayed sitting in my place because it was a little further away. But obviously those moments, well, one thinks fear, one thinks he may be armed. So go with the local news story. Obviously the truth comes out. And here's the interesting thing. This guy's lawyer... What in the world is he issuing this statement for? This is uh, the individual, Daniel Penny, is the one who is the veteran who shut down uh, Jordan Neely. And his law firm, Razor and Kenneth PC, put out a press release that said, the law firm of Razor and Kenneth PC represents Daniel Penny, a 24-year-old college student, Marine veteran, earlier this week, Daniel Penny was involved in a tragic incident on a New York subway, which ended in the death of Jordan Neely. We would first like to express on behalf of Daniel Penny our condolences to those close to Mr. Neely. Mr. Neely had a documented history of violent and erratic behavior, the apparent result of ongoing and untreated mental illness. When Mr. Neely began aggressively threatening Daniel Penny and the other passengers, Daniel with the help of others, three others, two, one, I think one was black and one was Asian, I think, something like that, acted to protect themselves until help arrived. Daniel never intended to harm Mr. Neely and could have foreseen his untimely, or could not have foreseen his untimely death. For too long, those suffering from mental illness have been treated with indifference. We hope that out of this awful tragedy will come a new commitment by our elected officials to address the mental health crisis on our streets and subways. See, this is the Paul Stanley <laughs> approach. Paul Stanley from Kiss, just a side note, put out a statement saying this whole gender 
affirmation BS that we've been talking about in the last couple of podcasts, affirming someone's gender when they're a boy, but they want to be a girl and what have you, um, that it wasn't good for kids. And, you know, he stood up and a lot of people, D Snyder from Twisted Sister, the singer from that band, stood up along with him and said the same thing and supported him to which D Snyder gets kicked off of an LGBT pride event. And then he goes out there to say he always stood with the LGBT crew. Well, Paul Stanley said that too. And here's the interesting thing. Paul Stanley decided to say, well, you know, I, I'm, I think people struggle with their gender. That's what I was trying to say. But, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to those people, whatever. He kind of walked it back a little bit. But what was interesting was I read about these statements, not in traditional conservative media. I actually went to metal magazines, Blabbermouth and things like that. Uh, metal Pit, I think was one of, them, one of those things. But you read the comment section and those comment sections, they're typically leftist. There's a couple of Trump supporters, but most of them are leftist. They're progressives. They're anti-religion. Every last one of them, every last one of them said that they didn't agree with gender affirmation. In fact, this is interesting. This is from the Washington Post. Most Americans support anti-trans policies favored by the GOP poll show. Clear majority of Americans support restrictions affecting transgender children. The Washington Post KFF poll finds offering political jet fuel for Republicans in state houses in Congress who are pushing measures, restricting curriculum, sports participation and medical care. Listen to that. We talked about the curriculum on the last show. That is the porn magazines. They're not talking about this is the this is the penis and this is the vagina and this is the semen and it goes in the fallopian tube. They're not talking about that. They're saying here is a ball and whip. Here is what happens when you put a strap on on and if you dinkle my taint, it feels real good. That's not what we're trying to teach the kids in sex education class. We're trying to teach them the scientific biology and the in the processes, but they're using it as a method to push this whole thing. And this goes back to what I was talking about. The control, the agenda, those things are what they're ultimately looking for. And they're going to use every vehicle to do it. So they're going to use the misinformation gaslighting that we talked about with Mr. Neely. They're doing it right now with, uh, with justice Thomas So they're trying to, because they have to get rid of the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is shutting down their agenda here and there. Roe v. Wade, Heller case with 2A, whatever the case may be, they're getting shut down in the courts. So they have to shift the courts and they're trying to find every angle to do it. So they're going to play this misinformation gaslighting campaign to make it seem like Clarence Thomas was getting some sort of, uh, you know, compromising help and getting special favors. I mean, this is what they said. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas had a child in private school. Billionaire Harlan Crow paid the tuition. Tom, the, uh, Justice Thomas did not report the tuition payments on, from Crow on his annual financial discourses. Well, Ma, the great Molly Hemingway kind of broke it down, said it was a grandnephew, so it wasn't his child. It was not reportable under the rules, and the friend who paid has never had business before the Supreme Court. She said, but I am curious who is paying for the highly coordinated effort between the Democrats and the media to attack the court. Those involved should disclose now because that's the point. They, so with, with Neely, they have to remove your right to self-defense. Why? 
so that they can use the weight of their movement, Antifa. That's why they're going to go after the Proud Boys who just stand as a buffer, and they're going to turn them into seditious, treasonous, uh, uh, insurrectionists, and they're going to throw the book at them like they just did to that Enrique guy. And we're going to talk about January 6th and election fraud, because that's another vehicle that Open Society and George Soros and the left are using to implement their policies. So we've got to get rid of the court. So they're going to have to try to get rid of the most conservative justices like Thomas, and they're going to throw everything at them that they can. We're going to have to get rid of your right to self-defense, whether it's 2A or just whether it's just to stand up against the violence that they're fomenting by releasing these individuals back with the Soros-backed DAs. So Luke Rosiak actually broke this down because here's the thing. It doesn't get, it doesn't go both ways. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, she received 3.6 million from a book publisher, Penguin Random House, but repeatedly declined to recuse from cases where the publisher stood to lose money, even as Stephen Breyer recused for taking even a tiny fraction of that amount from the same company. Luke goes on to say the year after she received a $2 million book advance, she took part in the vote that denied cert to an author suing the publisher for copyright infringement. Sotomayor was a prolific author. Uh, Her book and her pay from the book was her only source of outside earned income. But unlike Breyer, she didn't recuse herself. Then in 2019, she received a cert uh, petition from an author suing Penguin. On the same day she received the check from Penguin, the court denied cert, which helped Penguin. And soon after, she received her largest royalty check ever and has since signed more book deals. Now, remember, book deals are nothing more than slush funds of payback for doing the political you know, machine, machinations of whatever movement that the left wants to push. That author made a strong argument that cert should have been, or should have been granted. She wrote a book about a tiny evergreen that aspired to be the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, then random published a nearly identical book. (laughs) Because of a weird Third Circuit interpretation, that wasn't considered wrongful copying. It was a radically different rule than what was used in other circuits, making it right for SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. Such a ruling could have set a precedent that could be very expensive for the publisher. So all of these campaigns are being weaponized to eliminate the rights ability to protect freedom. And we have to, we we have to look at the fact that the gaslighting campaign is one way that they do it. The other way is (laughs) weaponization of government. So now one of the things they do is going back to the trans issue they're doing the bathroom bills. They're doing the book, book banning. They're doing all this stuff. They're you know, trying to push library books and uh, queer theory in, in, in libraries. They don't do it because they think they're going to codify and they're going to win and it's going to stick. They just need to create mass chaos. They just have to attack the foundation enough to where a good majority of the foundation joins their side and then the whole thing collapses. The momentum is on their side then. Then if it gets canceled out of school, it doesn't matter. They've already won. And they do this with 
political means, uh, uh, you know, from the executive branch as well. So think of this. Think of uh, this new rule, a new rule by the, uh, you know, federal regulators is causing banks to have to charge more for people with good credit who are buying new mortgages so that they can pay for the fact that people with bad credit and lower income individuals uh, can't really pay for their loans. Uh, seems counterintuitive, right? You get a eight, what was it, 790 score and you're having to pay more for the person who's got a 500. Um, why is that? Why are you being penalized for being a good person of financial means? You know, somebody who's watching revolving debt, somebody who's not taking out as much debt as possible, someone who's paying their bills on time. Well, because they need to have equitable housing. And at the same time, it's a federal rule. This isn't Congress. Congress didn't pass that, but they're doing it because they wait until they're challenged. This goes back to the gas stove thing. Oh, well, you guys think that we're coming after the gas stoves after we put out gas stoves may be bad for the environment and it could cause you asthma. Ah, we're not coming for them. Oh, oh, yes, we are. So you call them to the carpet and then suddenly they back down like the misinformation campaign, like the OSHA vax mandates. They just keep pushing and pushing from the executive branch to see, see what they can get away with. They don't care about the constitutionality. They just wait for the challenge in court. And that's what they've been doing. And so now we have to look at the fact that um, they're also doing it by setting people in places of power to get their positions pushed that will look the other way on the Constitution. That's what Soros did with the DAs. That's why you have, you have all these Soros-backed DAs that are going to try Donald Trump in New York for something that is completely, utterly ridiculous, right? They're doing that because... These people will weaponize their office and, you know, move the ball in the right direction. Now, how do they do that? How do they get an office? Well, we're told there's no election fraud. Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Listen to Joe Biden just uh, today. And you talk about fighting for the soul of America. But can we level set in terms of the soul of America right now? Hate crimes are on the rise. Random acts of gun violence. Yeah. Women are under Sorry. attack. Mr. President? I'll, I'll do one. The answer is yes, because that's why we can't let, well, uh, we cannot let this election be one where the same man who was president four years ago uh, becomes president again. This is what everyone voted for. They thought, hey, we need to bring the country together and we're going to take someone who has put us on the great economic path that he did. And even though he's beaten up DeSantis right now and that's pissing me off, he found peace in the Middle East, moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He's done a lot for the country. And now we've got this idiot who rolled it all back, letting people across the border, destroying the economy, pump, uh, lying to us about the Inflation Reduction Act, which is nothing but green energy carve outs. And if you're an idiot who thinks, oh, well, you know what? They give me a credit, a tax credit for the energy efficient windows. This is where my background comes into play. So the energy efficient windows, they come up to you and they say, hey, look, you buy these green energy windows, we put them in, you pay about 13 grand, but guess what? You're going to get money back. Well, you only get a $200 credit against your tax. So when you have your income and then you get your deduction, standard deduction or itemization, you come out with your taxable income, the tax brackets or whatever tax table is applied, then you get your tax amount. 
So say you get, you know, 2000 that you owe or maybe 19000 that you owe in tax and your federal withholdings are like 17 or something. And then the difference between that is, is what you owe to the IRS on tax day. Well, only $200 of that is going to get knocked down from that green energy from the Inflation Reduction Act. Pretty weak, isn't it? Oh, the green energy cars. Yeah, you buy EV. What company isn't included? Oh, Tesla. The best electric vehicle company in the electric vehicle market is the only one not included in the tax credits. Why? Well, because Elon Musk doesn't go with the uh, unions. And on top of that, um, it's, you know, they, 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 he's not playing ball with them. He's not playing ball with the government. And so the government doesn't care about him. It's not about electric vehicles. Now, here's the thing. Solar panels on your, on your roof. Oh, you get the sales guy's going to come up to you. He's going to be like, oh, man, you get all this, all this money back, all this tax back if you, or you get a tax credit that will cover what you paid for the installation and purchase of the uh, solar panels on your roof. Nope. It does give you a tax credit, but guess what? It's non-refundable. So if you have a tax amount due outside of what you paid for withholding, it just gets applied. And then the remainder carries over every year. So if you get a refund, you're not going to use that. It's just going to keep carrying over. So you're not going to get a refundable credit. You're just going to keep getting a refund, and that carryover is just going to sit there until you can actually use it. So it doesn't pay for what you put on your roof. These are all lies that they rolled up in what they called the Inflation Reduction Act, lies and gaslighting that we've been talking about as the theme through this entire podcast. So these are the things that we have to recognize. They're going to lie to us on every level. They're going to try to step over lines, and they're going to hope that you don't step in, in front of it and shut it down and show the lie for what it is or challenge it on a constitutional basis. So now we got to get into the fact that we're looking at how did Joe Biden become president? We were told, oh, there's no election fraud. Fox just settled with Dominion because Dominion was playing chicken and they were going to litigate against everyone to see if they'll back down. And, and well, maybe you've got some Soros back judges. Maybe you got some Soros back district attorneys. And they're going to run you down. They're going to hit you with the lawsuit and favor something that is completely bogus. Or maybe they'll just call you an insurrectionist like they did the Proud Boys. You're going to lose because the cards are stacked against you because there is no justice. And so we're told there was no election fraud whatsoever. Here's three stories. Iran-linked hackers broke into election results website in 2020. This is from NBC News. The alleged incident which has not been previously reported, is distinct from other Iranian election interference attempts that U.S. officials announced in the days before that election. Hackers working for Iran broke into U.S. cities' websites ahead of the 2020 election with the possible intention of altering the unofficial vote counts shown on Election Day, a senior military cyber official said on Monday. The alleged incident, which has not been previously reported, we keep hearing that, is distinct from other allegations of Iranian election interference attempts in the U.S. Officials announced in the days before the election, the U.S. removed the hackers before they could do any harm. Army Major General William Hartman, head of U.S. Cyber Command Cyber National Mission Force, 
which specializes in the operations like protecting elections, described the incident at the RSA conference, a cybersecurity industry event. Hartman declined to uh, share specifics about the incident. All I'm going to tell you is that we were able to go out and remediate the access that they had in these networks. The hackers were members of a hacker group that the cybersecurity company CrowdStrike, hmm, heard that name before. Does that have to do with Spygate? Calls Pioneer Kitten, Hartman said. CrowdStrike has reported that those attack hackers are likely to be contractors working for Iran and that they specialize in gaining access to sensitive systems. Quote, we detected that a malicious cyber actor had gained access to a city's local infrastructure that would be used to report the results of voting for the 2020 elections, Hartman said. Hartman did not say which city's website was breached. To be clear, this isn't infrastructure involved in casting a vote. Well, it's just reporting the vote, you know. It doesn't matter who cast it. It's a matter of who counts it. Am I right, Joseph Stalin? I mean, but we're told there wasn't any election interference, right? Ah, the elections are on the up and up. 81 million votes. This guy, President Puddinhead, President Corn Pop, he's a Puerto Rican, he's Jew, he's, uh, I don't know, Jenny from the block, he's German, he's Polish, whatever the case may be, he's all these things. He suddenly was elected president in the, in the most clean election in our lifetimes. How about this one? Election software CEO is charged with allegedly giving Chinese contractors data access. Prosecutors in, in Los Angeles say Connect, a small company that makes software for scheduling election workers, has illegally given its contractors in China access to sensitive data as part of a massive data breach. A defense attorney said the prosecution was relying on dubious information from one of the more discredited election deniers. Now, amid allegations, a number of localities across the U.S. are weighing whether to ditch Connect software just weeks before Election Day. Connect has provided its poll chief software to some city, cities and counties across the country, including Los Angeles County. This guy was charged with conspiracy to embezzle public funds and grand theft embezzlement of public funds and he worked with China. No, there wasn't any election irregularities. They weren't just putting cardboard over the freaking windows when they were counting the votes. It's crazy. And they only needed six, lo six localities to be compromised on their voting one. And one of the localities had a reoccurring, uh, reoccurring event. Arizona voters were told the election went fine. Records show a county director saw glaring errors, cashed out, and then fled. This is from VoteBeat. Um, this is insane. By the time Virginia Ross appeared before Penal County's uh, supervisors one last time, she had already sold her home. The election director just needed her supervisors to vote yes on November 21st, finalizing the no November election and she would be on her way to retirement. I stand by the results, she assured him. A lot hinged on this moment. After a primary election debacle in August, the county manager had brought Ross on the right ship. The county paid her handsomely. More than 40000 a month leading up to the election. That's more than five times what the past two election directors had made. Plus, she would get a $25,000 bonus if the supervisors voted yes. The supervisors made it easy for her. They didn't ask any questions. 
voting unanimously to certify the results. She got her bonus, quickly moved to an East Texas town with fewer than 1,000 residents. It would be another month before Arizona voters learned what internal evidence already showed, that Ross had botched the count in a way that excluded hundreds of votes from the original results, enough to nearly overturn the outcome of a statewide race. Now, this is the Cary Lake election. So we're told, oh, election processes have been fixed, right? Yeah, Dominion. There's nothing wrong with Dominion, right? I mean, Mercer County officials signed a 2.8 million contract this past March with Dominion Voting Systems to make certain that the county would be able to count all the votes. But on election day, the entire system inexplicably crashed. Exactly what happened to Mercer County remains uncertain. And although all votes, which are being recorded on paper ballots, were later tabulated, the failure attributed to an unexplaining or unexplained coding error on the ballots, showing counting throughout the night and left some, or slowing counting throughout the night and left some voters frustrated. Nothing wrong with Dominion, we're told. But that's the thing. You know, this is the company that, with Smartmatic, wanted to go after Fox News and drum them out. And there's absolutely no connection, apparently, between Soros and uh, Dominion voting. Or is there? The media's trying to run cover for Soros and his attachments to the discredited election counting. Here's the problem. Soros, this is from Business Insider. Listen to this. Soros does not own the company in question. Also, Smartmatic and Dominion voting machines, um, they're not even used in this year's election. Here's what really got me. Now, Smartmatic was used in conjunction with Dominion to have the voting go so clean in 2020. Smartmatic is owned by Lord Mark Malik Brown. He is connected to Soros through the Open Society Foundation, an organization that gives grants to civil society organizations around the world. Malik Brown serves on the Open Society Global Board, but he's not, you know, Soros is not involved with the company. Malik Brown is the effing president of the Open Society Foundation. George Soros is operation the whole daggone thing listen this is from the open society website malik brown has worked to advance human rights justice and development for more than four decades in a variety of roles with the united nations the world bank as as a british government minister as well as with a range of civil society groups and businesses at the united nations malik brown spearheaded the global promotion of un millennium development goals as the head of the United Nations Development Program from 1999 to 2005 under UN Secretary General Kofi Annan at the UNDP and previously head of external affairs for the World Bank. Oh, oh man, this guy. So let's read some of his tweets. This is Mr. Malik Brown. We do indeed need urgent, ambitious collective action to fix the global debt crisis and to deal with the climate emergency. Thanks to our friends at the Rockefeller Foundation for bringing leaders together in the DC uh, to drive the agenda for change. Here's another one. The in international community lost the plot 
in Sudan. Now, this is going on right now, this debacle in Sudan that's going insane. Severe consequences if warring parties do not return to negotiations. Instead, both sides are behaving in an utterly reckless way, and civilians are now paying the price. So, uh, huh. Then he retweeted this little nugget from Colombe Cain Salvador, who works for a democratic world at Atlas Movement, preferred pronouns she, her. Um, she tweeted, what I've always admired about the Open Society Foundation is that they have a political mission. And Mr. Malik Brown talked about how they wear this as a badge of honor. Keep on doing this as many foundations shy away from the tough topics. Well, she's got a little TED Talk on. And it's got a TED Talk tweet associated with it that she posted that said, my TED Talk got almost 400,000 views a day. If you haven't watched it, and believe we are in need of a global approach to solve issues like climate change or authoritarianism to achieve fiscal justice, check it out. Let's listen to her little uh, TED talk. It's only a couple minutes. For years, I have been working on a simple idea. For humanity to take its next leap ahead, we need to work together across borders to solve global issues. In the modern world, no world or border can protect us from crisis. We have no other choice but to unite, and we need to do it fast. In 2016, I was devastated by the UK's decision to leave the European Union. I'm French, and for me, the EU is a symbol of a more open and global society. But suddenly, my beliefs were shattered, and I wasn't alone in feeling this way. My partner, Andrea, who is Italian, and Damien, a German friend, also felt the shock of seeing the world turning inward. We realized that despite being from three different countries, we witnessed the same challenges. Migration flows being dealt with in an inhuman manner, climate change or high youth unemployment. And we also had the same hopes and dreams in our everyday lives. We also realized that to solve European issues, the outdated model of always putting national interests first had to go. So we decided to act. For a few months, we worked on the idea of launching VOTE, the first pan-European political movement. And then naturally, we told our Facebook friends. And a lot of them responded, saying they were up for the challenge and wanted to help. People started holding small community meetings in parks, universities and pubs to discuss their common future and share their solutions to the continent's biggest problems. We mobilized tens of thousands of people across 28 European countries. Two years in, Damien was elected to the European Parliament on a campaign run by volunteers across borders on the idea that we are stronger together. We showed that by collaborating across borders, by uniting and acting as one, we could start changing how people think. We were the first ones to attempt something of this scale and to succeed. Despite this, after the European elections in May 2019, Andrea and I looked into each other's eyes and asked that frank question that you never want to ask once you have worked for two years towards something that actually worked out. Is this enough? No, it wasn't. We knew that today's urgent challenges are not just European, but global. We also knew that we couldn't even attempt to solve them by only focusing on Europe, a continent that represents less than 10% of the world population. The underlying issue is that the way we see the world and the way the world works are fundamentally wrong. In the span of two generations, the world has changed more than in the previous 20,000 years. We can land on the moon. 
We can wake up in Shanghai and go to bed in New York. We have access to a huge amount of information all the time, everywhere. But we still see the world as our immediate vicinity. But issues like COVID-19, climate change, migration, fiscal justice or human rights mean that we need to think and unite beyond national borders. A green formation and solutions. It's not just the right thing to do, but it's also the smart one. They're all globalist. She's a globalist. Malik Brown is out there talking about authoritarianism and, and climate change. And what do we have going on here? They look at Trump as an authoritarian. They look at his policies as being anti-climate change. And somehow China is involved with rigging our elections. Somehow Iran is involved with rigging our elections. They're all working together with Russia. Bolsonaro got removed by crazy voting measures against a communist who was an ex-con and Bolsonaro was the Brazilian Donald Trump. Now Brazil is making deals with the Taliban and China. I don't know. You tell me. It seems to me that China's winning, especially because COVID-19 came out right after Trump decided to renegotiate all the tariff deals. Suddenly we get a global pandemic that the World Economic Forum uses their measures and their Event 201 game plan months before in November 2019 to make us wear masks, to lock down governments, to basically, and they all did this on the Western democracies, you know, Australia and New Zealand and Canada and America. All these other nations did it too, but they really kind of stepped their bounds in these, in these countries because they're going for something global. But to do that, they have to get you on their side. They have to use misinformation that, and gaslighting to wear you down like they did with gas stoves, like they did with Jordan Neely, like they're doing with Clarence Thomas. They have to move the political football by expanding the Supreme Court, implanting DAs, and, uh, and even a president, and world leaders such as Trudeau and Bolsonaro, all to move to the 2030 Great Reset Agenda 2030. That's what this is all being pushed towards. I'm putting this out there to you because we need to understand where we are in this moment in time and how we need to stand against it. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Spotify. Follow me on Spotify. It helps me tremendously. And uh, we will see you guys next time. God bless.